Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you so much for tuning in week after week. You guys are fantastic. I love you for your support and your belief in me. This has been fantastic. I want to thank our sponsors, Siegfried and Jensen, Wasatch Recovery, Veracity Networks, and iHill Institute. You guys believe in me and my cause here, and you have helped me grow this. We are trending now on uh, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, and I just can't believe where we're at. We're, we're trending to hit a million downloads by the end of the year, mm. and wow. it's, it's been fantastic. And it's not because of me. <laughs> it's because of the amazing guests I have come on who share their amazing lives with us. They get vulnerable. They talk about real stuff. And today, I'm super, super excited for our guest today. His name's Stephen Campbell. Stephen, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be really fun. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So um, after working in hospital administration for 20 years, Stephen acquired his master's to pursue his greatest love, teaching. And you guys will get that as he talks, man. This guy loves what he's doing. <laughs> he then became a professor, author, educational dean, and professional speaker for another 30 years. Since writing his third book, Making Your Mind Magnificent, Stephen has been conducting seminars around the world to enable his audiences to absolutely thrive in these unprecedented times. He does so by teaching and demonstrating how we can replace negative messages with positive ones during these challenging times. He then shows our, how our brains can make these new messages as part of who we are. Steve also hosts a two-hour weekly radio program on KOWS 92.5 FM every Wednesday morning from 9 to 11. He's the man who says the brain says okay to everything. This guy is a mindful, mindfulness master. Uh, he speaks my language. You guys are going to love him. And I just can't wait to get going here. So, Stephen. Todd. Here we are. Hello. Thanks for having me. This is, <laughs> isn't it amazing? Isn't Zoom amazing? It's wonderful. You're it in where, what state are you in? I'm in Utah. And I'm in California. Yeah, there you go. It, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. That we can do this. And uh, yeah. so, yeah. Um, so why don't we start off? I mean, you've got a lot going on. We're going to get to that, but I want to talk a little bit about, you know, your, your childhood. Where did you grow up? And maybe share a little bit about that with us. Where all this came from. I'm a one of uh, six siblings, okay. Shirley, Sally, Steve, Susie, Scott, Skip, okay. raised with girls. That's significant. We'll talk about <laughs> that in a second. Sure. <laughs> um, my father was a physician, very, very smart. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. I wanted to be a doctor. My passion was to become a doctor. And so okay. um, I went to San Diego State to start studying to be a doctor. When I was a junior in college, uh, I was driving a dear friend home. San Diego State is up on a mesa there. And mm -hmm. uh, a young man on drugs ran into me with his old 88. Oh, I had a little VW bug. Okay. And my dear friend was killed instantly. And I was in the hospital for about a year. My wow. legs were crushed. My face was crushed. Everything was broken. Wow. After being in traction for about three months or so, the doctors came in. They said, okay, now we need to put you into a spike of body cast. I said, what's that? That's a cast that goes from your toes up to your chest. We have to immobilize your legs, which are both really badly broken. 
and um, there's a little bar in between your legs. So if you had to go to the bathroom, you call the nurse, she'll come in and lift you up and da da da. And I said, how long will I be in this? Yeah. And they said about another three or four months. Wow. <laughs> so I said, ooh, ah, uh, ee, ah. Uh. And so they came and took me down the cast room, put the cast on, laid me on the bed. There's nothing you can do but look at the ceiling. And they gave me some Tallwind, which is a narcotic at the time, and mm -hmm. left. That was when I lost it. I finally began to cry and they couldn't stop me. They tried to, but they just, I began to cry. Why me? I'm a Christian. So why me? What's going on? What did I do? Why yeah. Dwayne, not me? I can't be here for another four months. I cannot. I can't. I just, I can't. I can't. I can't. I cried out for hours. And finally at the yeah. wee hours of the morning, I was laying there looking at the ceiling and realized that what I was saying wasn't true. Mm. That I could get through the next four months could I have gotten through the previous four months. And I realized that I can't bring Dwayne back. I can't make my legs heal faster. I can't make my face come back because they had to put that back together too. Mm. But I can change what I was saying. I can change my self-talk. I can change that. So I was laying there and I was saying, okay, what am I going to change this to? And as I mentioned before, I'm a Christian. Yeah. So I took a little verse out of Romans that said, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. And I said, okay, I'm going to take that, lock onto it, and just believe that something wonderful is going to come out of this. What? I have no idea. When? I don't know. How do you know? I don't know. But that's what the Lord said. And I'm just going to believe it. And as soon as I said that, it was like I was given an a, a automatic anesthetic and I fell asleep. And I slept for the next 12 hours. It was wonderful. Kaiser didn't wake me up for breakfast or lunch. He let me sleep through the day. Mm -hmm. Well, to make a very, very long story short, I eventually got out of the hospital, went back to school, finished my a degree my grades went because my sure, yeah. brain my brain had i had been unconscious for two weeks the nice thing about this is i don't remember anything for the first two weeks i was unconscious so i don't remember a thing um but you know what happened i ended up becoming a professional singer really and i traveled all around america singing and it was <laughs> on that tour that i met my wife and people ask me, was one year in a hospital worth 50 years with Mary? And I'm surprised you even have to ask that. Right. What yeah. happened was I realized that we are far more powerful with this than we could possibly imagine. So I began studying cognitive psychology, being with a guide to rational living written by Dr. Albert Ellis and Robert yeah. Sherman, which yeah. came out in 1961. I highly recommend it for people who want to go into this thing. Yeah. Here's what Dr. Ellis suggested, which has now been validated by decades of research all over the world. While I'm talking to you, Todd, you're talking to yourself thousands of times faster. How can, how can your brain do that? Well, when I talk to you, I use words. And when you talk to yourself, you also use words. But when we talk to ourselves, mainly we use pictures and feelings. Hmm. so when i look at mary i can't think of her with words i think of how i feel about her yeah and we just had lunch today in a beautiful 
restaurant here in California. And I can't possibly put into words what, how she pretty she is to me. Or the first time I saw Yosemite, I couldn't yeah. put into words what I was feeling. So I'm talking to you far faster than that. Here's the important point, And this is the foundation of everything that I teach. And I say this over and over, okay? And if your audience wants to write this down, this is be a good thing to do. Please do, yeah. Yeah, here we go. Ready? I'll say it really slowly. While you are talking to yourself, ready? Here we go. Your brain is believing everything you tell it without question. Yeah, right. That's scary. Yeah, it is. And that's wonderful. <laughs> Why is it scary? Because according to Shad Helmstetter, who wrote what we say, when, what do you say when you talk to yourself? Most of what we say to ourselves, Todd, and I don't think you'll be surprised to hear this. Most of what we say to ourselves, especially about ourselves, is negative. Mm -hmm. yeah. Most of what we say, I hear see different scientific studies, 75, 85, 90, but let's just say that most of what we say to ourselves is negative stuff. The sad part about that is that when we say, oh my gosh, I'm so stupid for doing that, your brain says, oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> right. you really are. Yeah. And the sad part about that is we keep saying that, then the brain begins to rewire itself. This is called neuroplasticity. This is developed by Dr. Eric Kandel, who wrote In Search of Memory and got a Nobel Prize for his work back in the year 2000. Basically, when we say, I cannot do this, the brain rewires itself and it, it takes that message and it becomes a part of your mindset. Okay, so that's the scary yeah. part. Now, here's the wonderful part. You can replace those messages. But why, wait a minute, Steve, why didn't I say change? I never use the ch word change when I'm talking about the brain. Why? Okay. Because the brain hates change, Todd. The brain hates change. Your brain's primary job is to keep you safe. Yeah. Change always involves something new. It always involves something risky. And your brain says things like, no, we can't do it because look what happened last time. No, don't change, yeah. don't change. So when you say, I'm going to really change, the brain sets up and says, oh, no, don't do that. So what we're going to do is we're going to fool the brain. We're not going to use the word change. We're going to use the word replace. Okay. Why mm -hmm. use that? Because the brain may hate change, but it loves to create new stuff. Okay. So when Mary retired, now she's knits and crochets and we drive down the freeway. And I said, what are you knitting? And she said, I'm knitting a hat over who? I have no idea. But <laughs> right. it's a really pretty hat. I found this pattern. And so she creates all this wonderful stuff. Okay. So the brain loves to create new stuff. So what we're going to learn today over the next few minutes nice. is how to take the negative crap that all of us say to ourselves about ourselves, especially when we mess up and replace that with positive messages. Okay. Okay. So hang on to your seat. Now, yep. Hold on people. Let's talk about, <laughs> well, Steve, you got to realize I'm older. I've always been this way. This is the way I was raised. This is where I get stuck. Let's talk about how much your brain can learn and grow and change. I'm going to use our daughter as an example. When little Sarah was two years old, she was raised in Roner Park. Roner Park, we're still living there, is a little enclave about 60 miles north of San Francisco. Okay. Little teeny weeny town. So she knew nothing about a city. So Sarah, Mary said, we got to teach Sarah about the city. 
And so I read her a book. Here's how the brain learns physiologically. Now we're talking about what's going on up here under the right. prefrontal cortex. Okay. When I read her a book, the brain recorded that book and put it in a neural cluster, a little teeny weeny cluster of neurons under the prefrontal cortex. So now you have a little cluster of neurons and we'll put the word book on it. Okay. Yeah. I read her another book. So put another cluster and put that book. Then we showed her some friends in San Francisco and Oakland. So right in San Francisco for another cluster and cars and lights and cars. So you have all these clusters around your, your prefrontal cortex. That's what happens during the day. When Sarah went to sleep that night, here's what her brain does. And this is what your brain does. This is what I'm reminded of. Brush is, oh, wonderful. Now leave me alone. Yeah. For the next eight hours, because now what I need to do is I need to make sense out of all the stuff that you gave me during the day. So it looks at all those clusters, those millions mm. of clusters, and it tries to find similarities. It tries to find relationships. And so here's a book about a city. Here's a book about a city. They both have got things like people, lights, cars, but there's not connection they should be. So yeah. it creates a connection mm. between those two clusters neurons, axon, somatic clefts, et cetera. And there's right. another one. So now what's happening is as you're sleeping, your brain's taking all those clusters and is connecting them, okay? In fact, we now know your brain is more active when you're asleep than when you're awake. Yeah. That's through positron emotion tomography studies, okay? Over time, usually a few days, Sarah develops a pattern of a city. And now she'll never forget what a city is. It's got people, wise cars. So she can go to London or Dublin, right. where she lives now, or San Francisco, and she'll know what a city is. Now, how many patterns can your brain carry? Let's ask that a different way. How much can I still grow, learn, yeah. and change based on what the brain can do? Okay. The number of patterns, which determines how much I can grow, are based on the number of connections. The number of connections are based on the number of brain cells that you have, which is around 83 billion. Wow. Each of those 83 billion brain cells are connected to an average of 10,000 other brain cells. That's not a multiple, Todd, that's a power. Wow. So the number of connections which your brain can carry, which determines how many patterns, is 83 billion to the power of 10,000. That's 83 billion times 83 billion, 10,000 times. It's a number we cannot possibly even fathom. Yeah, there's so many so zeros behind that. You let's can't go to the most important concept and they can, your, your listeners can write this down. This is what's really important. The primary element that holds us back from learning and growing and changing is what we say to ourselves. Mm. the primary element Todd is not how we were raised it's not COVID it's yeah. not the pandemic it's not isolation it's what we say about how we were raised yeah and COVID yeah. and the pandemic and the isolation and For we sure. can learn how to replace what we're saying so let me give you an example of how this really works um for the first 42 years of my life, I said to myself, I'm really dumb in math. I was convinced. I won't go into the details. It's all in my book. And so um, I was dumb in math, saw numbers, would freak out. But then the 70s, even before the Apple, I began tinkering around with computers. 
because I thought they were really fun. And I said, this is really fun. I can do this. So I went back to school and got a graduate degree in computer science. And I began teaching computer courses and students. um, uh, Then I began teaching computer courses. The students really loved how I taught. Then one day the dean came to the office and said, one of our math professors just quit, Steve. So you are our new math professor. (laughs) Wait a minute. Um, I can't. I can't do numbers. He said, you want a job? Learn. <laughs> There's the book next semester. Well, I needed the job. So I ran down to the Rona Park Library of, of all places and picked up all the books I could on brain-based learning. Yeah. And I began teaching my course based on how the brain learns. And students began saying, oh, you're such a wonderful math teacher. <laughs> I love the way you teach it. It's so much fun and all this right. sort of stuff. And then the dean said, all the students saying, I will only take math if Mr. Campbell's my professor. And you know what I did, Todd? I began listening to those students rather than what I've been saying to myself for 42 years. And when I did, what did my brain say? Oh, okay. Because okay. yeah. it, really, it believes everything we tell it. Is it true? Did you know, Todd, the brain doesn't even care about that? Yeah. The yeah, brain doesn't that. even care whether it's true or not. Yeah. So I began teaching this, it got really fun, and I ended up writing two college textbooks. And what do you think? Computer software and math, okay? (laughs) Nice. So the point is, again, let's go to this one again. The primary element that holds us back is not how we were raised. It's not how smart we are. It's none of that. It's what we say about how we were raised. Yeah. It's what we believe about how smart we are. Yeah. So let me share with you another story that illustrates that really well. I ended up teaching math at the University of San Francisco and the student came to my office after the first day of class. She was very shy, sat down. She said, Mr. Campbell, I'm really glad you're my professor because I am a C student in math. I said, how do you know, Sue? Because I've never gotten above a C in math. I just can't do numbers. I said, well, believe it or not, so it used to be the same way. So I worked with her. She had to work with her. She got an A in the first midterm. And I gave her the test, and she absolutely freaked out. She went, <gasps> and then she said, oh, Mr. Campbell, <laughs> this is a mistake. What do you mean, Sue? She said, I have never gotten above the CNMAT test. You must have made a mistake. And I said, I didn't, Sue. This is a genuine A. So then she looked at it longer Mm -hmm. and their face lit up and she said, do you know what this means? And of course, now I'm getting really excited. So I sit down next to her. I said, of course I do, Sue, but you tell me, what does this mean? Mr. Campbell, this means that when I flunk the next test, I can still maintain my C. I said, Sue, just get an A in every test. She said, oh, I can't. Why? What was her answer, Todd? I am a C student. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. She flunked the next test. She got a C in the course. So I sat down with her. I said, Sue, answer me this. What would have happened if you had flunked this first test? Do you know what she said without a moment's hesitation? She said, well, easy, I would have studied like crazy to get A on the next test. I have to to maintain my C. I said, Sue, just yeah. get A in every test. She said, oh, I can't. Why? I'm a C student. 
Yeah. I've always been this way. Yep. This is the way I was raised. This is what I look like. These are the mistakes that I have made. Yeah. This is what I cannot do. This is where I get stuck. Or, or, or. Do you know when your old life ended, Todd? It ended one second ago. Yeah. It ended one second ago. It just ended one second ago. So when did your new life begin? One second ago. One second ago. Now do the math. 60 seconds per minute, 60 minutes per hour, 24 hours per day. In one 24-hour period, you have 86,400 new opportunities for new life every single day. Wow. Todd, I love it. all you need to do is choose to take them. That's why they call this cognitive psychology. It's your choice. Yeah. We always have choices. Yeah. Now, you ready for the less exciting thing? Yes, please. Let's talk about self-images. Yeah. Notice I didn't say self-image. I said self-images. Yeah, plural. I was a first-year baby boomer, born in 1947. I was taught you have the self-image. You have to maintain your self-image. I got so excited years and years and years ago when I discovered I have more than self-image. So some of my self-images are really, really, really high. Turns out that I am really brilliant in math. Turns out I'm a horrible <laughs> athlete. Okay. I cook really good scrambled eggs. I cook horrible poached eggs. But I have a self-image for all those things. I have the self-image yeah. for my scrambled eggs and a self-image for my poached eggs. So I have millions of self-images over the 74 years I've been alive. I have a self-image of how I see myself as a teacher, as a speaker, as a writer, as a father, as a grandfather. I've got all these self-images. Okay. Now, let's talk about where they come from. And if your people want to write this down, that's great. Yeah, please. Yeah. We yeah. have many self-images, new line. Your self-images are learned. They're learned. You were not born with them. So let me explain. All of us were born with certain natural dispositions. I was born a natural speaker. I was born a natural teacher. I've always been a teacher. I love teaching. Um, when I was a kid, I used to put rocks in my backyard, pretended I was teaching them. Okay. I was a weird, <laughs> I was a weird kid. So I've always been a teacher, but I had to learn how to teach. Okay. Yeah. So all of our self-images are learned. Okay, here we go. Write this down. They are learned from our self-talk. Mm -hmm. Our self-images come directly from what we are saying to ourselves about ourselves. Okay, so up to the age of 41, I had a very, very strong self-image that I'm really stupid in math. And I was. And then I discovered when I began teaching that I am not only a fantastic teacher, I'm really good at math. And I discovered new ways of teaching math. And I wrote a book about it. Okay. So my self-images of being stupid in math got replaced by being really smart. Notice they didn't say change. Yep, said replace. The, yep. the self-image of being really stupid in math is still there. It's still there. It's still in my brain, way in the back, but it's still there. How do I know, Steve? I've never had a lobotomy. <laughs> so 
Remember how I showed you how, how Sarah learned about the city? We learn our self-images the same way. They come from our self-talk. Okay. Yeah. So when I began replacing this crap, I'm really dumb in math, but I'm really smart. I can really do this. New self-images were created. The old ones are still there, but I lock onto the new ones. So here's another principle. Okay. Write this down. Ready? Our brain locks on to what we deem as valuable. Mm. Our brain locks on to what we deem as valuable. So let me illustrate. Okay. Yeah, please. When I was a little boy, my dad taught me how to ride a bicycle. And he took me out to this field, took the train, was off. He said, now, Steve. Um, don't worry, honey, I'm going to run next to you, but see that rock on the road about 50 feet? Yes, I do. He said, don't run into that rock. And you already know what happened, Todd. Yep. I got down on the bike, pedaling like mad, trying to, re to really impress my dad. Eyes locked onto the rock, right into it. That's the way your brain works yeah when i locked on to i'm dumb in math my brain not only believed me but it rewired itself so that i was but when i began replacing that and said i'm really smart in math not only did i discover i was but i wrote a couple of books about it okay yeah. so the point that <clears throat> with our self images are they're learned but they come from our self-talk, okay? Here we go. You can replace your self-talk. So let's, let's apply this. I've been giving you a lot of psychological stuff that's really interesting, but if we don't apply it, if we don't use it, we're gonna lose it. So let's, rather than waiting to the end, let's use an application right now, okay? Um, there's two applications which I'll be sharing with you. The first, however, is when we when we mess up. We all mess up. Right. When we screw up, when we really mess up, we say to ourselves, oh, my goodness, how could I have been so stupid? Unfortunately, when you do that, your brain pops up and says, oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. Remember that dumb thing you did yesterday? And that dumb thing you did a week ago, a month ago, a year ago? I used to say this to myself. Remember how you were the slowest reader of the third grade, Steve? And you know what we do is we get out this list and we start going down the list of all the dumb things we've ever done. Now, this is yeah. really important to understand, Todd. When you do that, your brain doesn't know that those memories happened a week ago, a month ago, a year ago. That's all they are, memories. Yeah. The brain's recording those events along with the feelings that you had. We'll talk about feelings in a minute. As if they happen when, Todd, right now. Right now, yeah. And then you're carrying that stuff around. That's the saddest thing. So here's the most exciting news about that. Ready? Hang yep. on to your seats. Okay. Ready? Here Hold we go. Up. You don't have to do that anymore. Starting when? With your new life that began one second ago. Yeah. So what do you do when you screw up? Okay, here's what you do. First of all, okay? Throw away the list. 
you'll have to do that more than once because you've been carrying around with you your entire life. Yeah. But when you get it out, here's the wonderful thing about your brain. Your brain believes everything you tell it. So when you start getting off the list, which we all do, you can stop and say, wait a minute. I don't do that anymore. Yeah. And you know what your brain will say? Oh, okay. <laughs> right. And you keep saying that and the brain rewires itself so that eventually it becomes a part of your mindset. It becomes a habit. It becomes the way you think. And you just don't get out that list anymore. You don't even have to right. think about it, which is so yeah. wonderful about the brain. I yeah. think the Lord created the brain in such a wonderful way for us. And we're just discovering, we can discover how wonderful we can do. Okay, yeah. so what do you do after you throw on the way to the list? What do you do? What do you do when, when you, with your mindset? Use three wonderful words. You know what the words are? The next time. The next time I'll do it this way or that way. And when you say the next time, you're saying three things. Number one, you're saying, ready? There is a next time. Todd, how many next times do we get? Trillions and billions and gazillions. What is there's it? No 86,000 a day? <laughs> 86,000 a day. Yeah, there's yeah. no limit to how many next times we get. Yeah. Number two, when you say the next time, you're saying, I'll never give up. Yeah. I'll never give up. If it doesn't work this way, sideways, I'll go slantways or overways or underways or whatever ways right. until it works. And the whole time the brain's saying, oh, okay, and looking for ways to make it true. Okay. Here's the most exciting one. At the very end, number three, when you say the next time, you're saying, I'm still learning, Steve. Yeah. I'm still growing. I'm still changing, which means I'm still making mistakes. But just because I fail doesn't mean I'm a failure. Yeah. Thomas Edwards was asked how it felt to fail by a New York reporter uh, when he was looking for the film of light bulb, which turned out to be yeah. thin platinum. And he, and he had to do about, about 999 different samples of when, when you, before he found so he asked by the portrait, how does it feel to fail 900 times looking for the film of the He said, I did not fail 900 times. I simply found 999 ways it didn't work. Yeah. That's what we're doing, Todd, especially during COVID, especially right. during the Delta variant, yeah. especially during isolation. We're finding things that doesn't work so we can find things that do. Yeah. So true. Okay. okay. Love, love it. Now, let's talk about our feelings. Especially when we mess up. Mm -hmm. Especially when people are dying all around us. 14 people in our church got COVID in the last two weeks. And one of the precious daughters are now dying even as I speak. Oh, man. So what do you do with that? Yeah, what do you tough. do with that? Let's talk about our feelings. And the reason why it's so important, I want to write this down, is we are not thinking people who feel. We're feeling people who think. Our decisions are based a lot on what we feel. We like to think that they're based on logic, but the reason they have the big fancy commercials with the beautiful girl driving the beautiful car rather than a table of which car is the better is because we buy the car, then we rationalize it later. 
yeah. of a car, buy the car based on the beautiful car and the beautiful girl, the beautiful country. Okay. So we're not thinking people who feel we're feeling people with things. So what do we do with our feelings? Let's go back to the work of Dr. Albert Ellis. Again, a guide to rational living. Okay. And also my own book, uh, making your mind magnificent. Okay. What we've discovered about our feelings and this, when Dr. Ellis wrote this book, he turned psychology on his ear is that our feelings, I'm going to write this down, our feelings primarily come from our beliefs. Hmm. Let me explain. Okay. Let's imagine, Todd, that you and I have been friends for years. We just love each other. Our kids have played together. We've been good friends, and we just... And so one day on a Saturday, I show, up at your, I show up at your house with a shovel, big, huge shovel. I say, hi, Todd. Hi, Steve. How are you? Good to see you. Good. I'm going to dig a hole in your backyard, Todd. <laughs> and without asking, I go to your backyard and start digging this hole. And as you follow me and watch me dig the hole, you begin to develop some beliefs. Such as Steve and I have been friends for years. Our children have played together. Steve knows it's my birthday today. He also knows I love rose bushes. <gasps> That's what he's doing. He's, he's digging a hole in my backyard to plant a rose bush for my birthday. Oh, Steve, I love you. <laughs> Stay here. Call Mary. We'll have a birthday party. Okay. That's scenario number one. Really close feelings. Yeah. Scenario number two, Todd, is that we absolutely hate each other, hate each other. And finally, I show up at your house with the shovel. I say, hi, Todd. Hi, Steve. How are you? Good to see you. I'm going to dig a hole in your backyard. Okay. And you've always known I was weird. So without asking, right. I go to your backyard or start digging the hole. This time, your beliefs are completely different. Yeah. Your beliefs are I'm digging the hole to bury you in. Okay, mm. now watch this. Same Todd, same Steve, same Saturday morning, same shovel, same backyard, yeah. same hole, completely different beliefs. Yeah. Completely different feelings. So for the first 42 years of my life, my brain and I did not like each other. Right. We were enemies because my brain said, you're stupid and you're dumb and you're no good. And all these negative messages that I gave myself. Okay. Yeah. Then when I was 42, I began discovering this stuff. And I said, wait a minute. That's not necessary. Maybe I'm not naturally athletic, but I'm really good at math. And I'm a musician. And so here's some areas that I'm really good at. Here's some other areas that I'm not too great at. But you know what? That's all right. Yeah. That's not really important to me. What is important to me are these areas over here. And my feelings about myself began saying, oh, that's really nice. Good for you. Right. So let me give you some more illustrations that, that, that show you how this works. In... Um, I used to be a professor. I'm a retired professor. I taught at a number of universities in California. 
And uh, one day, and I also was, the evening, I was also the evening dean at this particular one college. So I would teach during the day, take myself out to dinner, come back and run the evening school. One day I was um, leaving to go out to dinner and the receptionist said, your wife's on the phone, your wife's on the phone. And have you ever picked up the phone, Todd, and you know something's wrong even before you get it to your ear? Yeah. You just know it. It's just yeah. like you kind of a magical it. electricity. You just... Yeah. You just know something's wrong. And I, I put it to my ear. Um, when you put Mary next to a phone, she talks. It's an automatic response. Okay. <laughs> she wasn't talking. She wasn't mm. talking. And that's not like Mary. And finally, yeah. I had to say, hi. What's going on? Silence. And finally, through the tears, she said, I just walked out of the doctor's office. I have cancer. Oh. I need everybody home. I need, we have two daughters. We need a daughter's home, the husband's home. I need everybody home. So we all went home and spent the day together planning. Mary would have to have a stectomy and chemo and all these other things. Mm. And planning our life for the next year because Mary will be out of school. And um, cried, drank laughed, cried, drank some more, laughed, cried, spent the whole time working through the plethora of feelings. Girls went home. Mary and I talked in the evening that I went to my office. Mary went to sleep and I picked up two books. One is the Bible. The other is uh, a book called Learned Optimism by Dr. E.P. Sullivan of the University of Pennsylvania. Wonderful man. He's still teaching. He has a wonderful uh, website on positive psychology. What he learned about, about how optimists deal with, with really hard stuff is really interesting. First of all, when optimists deal with really, really hard stuff, they do three things. Number one, they isolate. Right. So what Mary and I said was, here's the cancer with all the stuff, but, but, but it's not the only thing in our life. Right. There are other things in our life that are just as real as the cancer. Like we live in Sonoma County, okay? We've been married for 40 years. Our daughters are married to men who love them even more than we do. So, so we're, gonna, we're just not going to let the cancer be an umbrella over the rest of our lives. We're not going to let that happen. Right. It's one part of our life that we certainly can't deny, sure, sure. but we're going to isolate it. Other parts in our life are just as real. Okay? Right. So that's the first thing that optimists do. Secondly, is they temporalize it. What does that mean? It means to say life is a moving picture. I can guarantee you, Todd, that tomorrow's going to be different from today, both in your life and in my life. Yeah. Life is always different. It's always moving. And so what we locked onto is Mary is going to be cancer-free in a year. How do we know? Well, the doctor said there's a very good possibility of that, but we locked onto that. Do we yeah, know it right. for sure? Of course not. Yeah. You can't know it for sure. There's for nothing sure. you can know in life for sure. Yeah. But that's what we locked on to, sort of like the rock on the road. Okay. Number three, what Dr. Sullivan said and discovered was optimists say always, I can change the way I think. I can always change the way I think, no matter what happens to me. Right. Day by day, moment by moment. I can change what I'm thinking. So Mary said, okay. When she first got it, she blamed herself. 
I should have lost weight. I should exercise all the things. And then she said, you know what? Life is unfair. Stuff happens. I wish it didn't, mm-hmm. but it does. But I can still do this. I can still do that. I can still do this. A year later, she was cancer free. Wow. And the year after that, the year after that. And then she called me. But this time it was different. I picked up the phone and she said, hi, hi, how are you? Well, I just walked out of the doctor's office. They found something. (gasps) How are you doing? You know what, Steve? I'm doing all right. How can you say that? I made it through last time. I can make it through this time. Yeah. You see, Todd, it wasn't the cancer that brought about the feelings. It's what Mary said about the cancer. Exactly. So in 2008, in the beginning of the year, I discovered I had cancer and then diabetes and then um, uh, cataracts. And then the end of the year, I discovered I had advanced heart disease. My mitral valve was flopping all over the place. So for the cancer, they took out a large part of my scalp and I'm cancer free. The diabetes, I've had to completely switch my diet. I've lost 30 pounds for the, um, for the cataracts. They replace the lens with corrective lenses, and I don't need my glasses anymore. It's wonderful. Okay. And then for the, yeah. the heart disease, I had open heart surgery last year, and now my heart is good to you. But the point I want to make is that my feelings did not come from the cancer and the cataracts. They came from what I was saying about the cancer and the cataracts. Amen. People say to me, you know what? I'm not sure what I believe. And I say, Listen to yourself talk. Yeah. If you want to know what you're believing, listen to what you are saying to yourself about yourself. Listen to that. And your brain says, okay. Yeah. So let's use another application before we close because the, the time goes by so fast. It does go by fast. Yeah. Um, I talked about what we can do when we mess up. How about when we do something really, really well? This is a study from Stanford University back in 1975 called The Effort Effect. What they discovered is that when you do something really well and people compliment you, good job, you were great, you're fantastic. So often we say, oh, not really. Oh, that's embarrassing. That's egotistical. Yeah. I was yeah. part of a team. I was lucky, but not really. I No, yeah, no, really, no, 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 no. Okay. Well, what have you learned, Todd? We've learned when you say no, 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 yeah. your brain's going to say, oh, okay, yeah, okay. you're right. Yeah, yeah believe and those And those compliments fall to the floor. So here's your new way of thinking, okay? From now on, when someone says, good job, you look at them and you smile and you say, thanks, I know. (laughs) Right. I shared this with 300 Kaiser physicians down in Huntington Beach in Southern California a number of years ago. And when the the whole barroom just broke up and roared. Yeah, yeah, I watched watched that speech. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. they just roared, but they, as you can see, they love me. They love me. They bought my book. <laughs> they signed up for my yeah. online seminar and all this sort of stuff. When I drive back to LAX, I was so excited. I almost drove off the freeway. <laughs> and so I stopped by Chevron, got a tuna sandwich of Coke. And when I was eating, while the car was gassing up, I looked at the passenger mirror at myself. And I said to myself, I said, oh, you are the most amazing speaker. You really are. And what did my brain say? Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
But not only that, this is from the work of Dr. Selman. It also said, and don't miss this. It also said, ready? Here we go. It also said, and Steve, you can even be better. It opened up the gate. Yeah. And I began thinking of all sorts of ways I could be a better speaker. I'll do this and that and this and that. Now, if I said, you know what, you messed up here, you messed up there, what would have happened yeah. to the gate, Todd? Yep. Slam shut. Close. Yep. Close. So here's your new way of thinking when you do something really well. When someone says, good job, you look at them and you smile and say, you know what? That makes me feel really nice. Thank you for taking the time to tell me that. And then when you get by yourself, you wallow in your success like a pig in slop. <laughs> Wallowing. Yeah, I love it. And I have a question. Why do we have to wait for someone else to tell us how wonderful we are? The scientific community agrees that the human brain is perhaps the most complex organism in the universe. And the more we study it, the more we are blown away about what it can do. Yeah. And what we can do. Yeah. And our brain says, okay. Wow. Now, how do you make this stuff a part of your mind thing? How do you make this stuff a part of the way you think? It takes time and it takes repetition. So I want to give two offerings to you and your listeners. First of all, there's my book, which is on Amazon called Making Your Mind Magnificent. Yeah. Okay. And then I did for many, many years down in Silicon Valley in San Francisco, an all-day seminar, which I gave, made of nine short little sessions around 30 to 45 minutes, that my daughter said, Daddy, we got to get it on the computer. Yeah. So that all-day seminar is now available, and it usually goes between seven hours, reduce it down to 49 for COVID. Oh, nice. And if people are interested, please email me and I will give them all the information and the code that enables them to get it to Stephen C at sbcglobal.net. That's Stephen C, S T E V E N C at global, G L O B A L.net. Okay. Okay. If you wanted to talk to me, that's great. Or call me on my phone number. My phone number is, I'm the old fashioned guy. I like to talk to people on the phone. Yeah, I, my amen. phone number is 707-480-5007. I'd love to talk to you about this. I talk to a lot of people. Sure. And some things I just can't answer over the email. So sure. I do coaching too, or I just yeah. chat with people. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. Well, that was, that was amazing, Steve. I, I can't thank you enough for. Oh, Todd, thank you for wisdom. having me. Oh man. I, I'm telling you, you're speaking my language. <laughs> and, and I, I mean, you can see, I took a ton of notes yeah. uh, myself. I hope our listeners did as well. And yeah. I challenge our listeners right now, please reach out to Steve. He gave the phone number. I'll say it again. 707 707- Four eight zero five zero zero seven. And call anytime. I sleep in three hour intervals, so I'm usually awake. So, yeah, I, I love it. Well, you are. You're an incredible speaker. I love what you're doing. I love that you love to help other people. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for uh, spending some time with me today and being on my show. It really means. Thank a you lot so to much me. for having me, Todd. You betcha. 
Okay, guys, I told you this was going to be amazing. Stephen Campbell, uh, his website is stephenrcampbell.com. And then you've got his phone number and you can email him as well. Thank you for tuning in. I love you guys. Thanks for believing in me. And once again, Steve, you're amazing. Keep up the great work and uh, you know, you. best of luck to everything that you're doing. Thank you. Take care. Okay.